The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And Jesus said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Amy McCreef, and I'm the Episcopal Chaplain at MIT, and it's a great pleasure to be with you this morning in Concord. I know that some of you are very much involved in academic life, some of you at MIT and many at other places. Some of you have children who are in college or are about to send children off to college. And I thank all of you for the great work that you do to prepare the rising generation and to support them in their Christian walk and for your support for campus ministry in this diocese. And I bring you greetings from the Lutheran Episcopal Ministry at MIT, most of whom are asleep right now. <laughs> we, we worship on Wednesdays at 5.15 in the afternoon. Um, and some of them do go to church on Sunday morning, but some of them are wearied by their studies this far into the semester. I spend a good a bit of time as a campus minister uh, telling people about what I do, and sometimes I'm invited by churches like this one to come and say a few words about what we do uh, in campus ministry uh, in the Episcopal Church. And every once in a while, when I do this work, someone will ask me, who taught you to be a campus minister? 
Who taught you your job? Seminaries don't teach classes on campus ministry. There's no national certification program to prepare us to do our work. There's no test that's sort of the equivalent of a board exam or a qualifying exam. You just show up on campus and go to work. So who taught me to do this work? My answer may surprise you. My answer is Desmond Tutu. Desmond Tutu, the retired Anglican Archbishop of Cape Town, persistent fighter against apartheid in his homeland and injustice everywhere. Everything I needed to know to do my job as an Episcopal chaplain on campus, I learned from Desmond Tutu. And no, I've never met him. Well, actually, I did meet him two weeks ago, but that was long after I started in my work at MIT. So what about all those other people who may have taught me how to do my job, my own chaplain in college, or people who've written books about young adult spiritual development? What about my predecessors at MIT? There's a lot of wisdom that they offer, and I'm thankful to all of them for it. But it's Desmond Tutu who taught me about endurance. Who taught me about endurance. And that's really the most important thing about the work that I do and the most important thing that the students are looking for. When I was in college in the mid-80s, our Episcopal chaplaincy spent a semester watching videotapes of Desmond Tutu talking about God's vision for the world, God's justice and God's love for every human being. And I listened to Archbishop Tutu talking about working with God to bring this vision into being and trusting that the long arc of history was moving in the direction of this vision, despite all appearances, despite everything that we see in the newspapers day after day. And the farther I got into my college years, the clearer it became to me that the sheltered and very fortunate life that I had led so far growing up in a suburb in Ohio was not the whole story. And I wondered what it meant to prepare oneself to live faithfully and hopefully in a very complex and often very frightening world. In my politics classes, I was studying South African history and politics, and elsewhere on campus, I was studying the history and meaning of scripture and the work of the church. And it became clearer to me through my college years that the world was not a perfect place. And there were wars and rumors of wars, nations rising up against nations, famines and plagues, portents and signs, good people in prison, and persecution abounding. And in the midst of this, The church leaders that I knew here in the United States felt that the apocalypse was coming because the new prayer book was coming. (laughs) And the apocalypse was coming because they couldn't meet their budget, so they couldn't add on to the parish hall. My own college chaplain, every Lent, would give up bread. And you would have thought he was giving all of his money to the poor. He made such a big deal out of this great sacrifice and the great endurance it was going to take him to not eat bread for 40 days. 
This was the witness of the church that I had around me in my immediate circle. Meanwhile, there was Desmond Tutu. In these videos on World News Tonight, And whenever he showed up, he was praying and speaking out, and he was singing. He was often singing in the midst of systematic institutional oppression, in the midst of his friends being thrown in jail and killed. He never lost heart. He always took heart. He was walking through hell with extraordinary grace and humility and hope, keeping his eye on God. And that was so important to me to see that. Our scripture readings today all admonish us to endurance in the face of threats and uncertainty and endings. The prophet Malachi tells post-exilic Israel not to lose heart in the face of the apparent triumph of evil. And the writer of 2 Thessalonians advises the early Christians who thought that Jesus was going to return every day so they needn't do any work, that they should actually continue with their labors. And Jesus, in our gospel for today, standing near the temple in Jerusalem in the week preceding his own death, warns his followers of the dangers to come and tells them not to panic, but to faithfully endure and they will gain their souls. Endurance sounds good, but what does it look like? What does it look like? As a college student, that's what I needed to know. I needed to see it embodied. I needed to see someone living endurance. Young people today still need that. They need to see us living endurance not talking about it. They're looking for a way of life, not a dogma. They're looking for people who embody faith and hope, people who are not just talking about God, but chasing after God in the midst of a life full of dangers and distractions and a million reasons not to endure in the faith. William Cantwell Smith, who wrote so eloquently about faith and belief, says that faith is a quiet confidence and joy which enable one to feel at home in the universe, even when that universe appears to be ending. We learn this kind of faith not from a specific church school curriculum or a specific set of experiences, but from watching adults who have it. Especially during college, when so many of us are hard at work making basic decisions about who we are and whose we are, when we're deciding what to trust, what to serve, the central role of the chaplain and the church community is to be courageous in endurance. The the word courage comes from a root core, which is similar to the word Heart, it's taking heart, having heart, living from the heart, living heart to heart with one another and with God. And that's what our young people seek, a capacity to do that. Just in the last few months at MIT, I've had many conversations with students that indicate the kind of endurance that they're looking for from me and from the Christian community. 
They've said things to me like, I want to be able to sense God's presence during the whole day, not just in the morning when I say my prayers. I want to see a marriage that does what we claim it's supposed to do. I want to hear about your prayer life, not just where you stand on issues. I want to know how to break up with someone and still have hope for future relationships. Show me what it looks like to do justice and love mercy. Show me what it looks like day after day, month after month, year after year, to live what we claim to be about in church. These students are sold on God, but they're anxious about having enduring faith in the real world. They need help living from their heart in a culture that feels to them hard-hearted and a society that makes little room for sacred relationships and lasting commitments. What does it look like? If I see you do it, I will be encouraged. Maybe I could do it too. In Luke's Gospel for today, the temple in Jerusalem is the symbol of everything that seems powerful and immovable in society. If you read through the Gospel of Luke, you see the temple coming back again and again and playing this role, being this backdrop of the immovable truths that can never change in the world. It's large and strong and beautifully constructed. It's the precinct where power is doled out and mediated. And the done thing for the people to whom Jesus is speaking in today's gospel is to simply go along with the temple. Go along with the religious and economic givens that it represents. Go along with society's admiration for it. Go along with trying to use it for their advantage and assuming that that's all God has planned for them. So, too, it is easy for young adults in our day to simply go along with our modern versions of the temple. Individualism, nihilism, consumerism, or at the institution where I work, scientism. They know better. They actually don't believe in these things. They know better. But they cannot endure in faith alone. None of us can. I had the chance this week to join an overflow crowd of MIT people to listen to a talk by Dr. Paul Farmer, the Harvard Medical School professor who co-founded Partners in Health, which has brought low-cost, effective health care to people in Haiti and Rwanda and lots of other places in the world. And as I listened to Dr. Farmer speak, I looked around at the awe and the rapt attention the students were according him. And probably two-thirds of the people in this large auditorium were students. Paul Farmer was like a rock star in that room. And I realized that he was offering them exactly what they needed, what I needed when I was their age, a vision of what it looks like to endure in the face of lots of powerful organizations saying that it was impossible to bring antiretroviral drugs to HIV-infected people in the developing world, Dr. Farmer did it. In the face of what many organizations were writing off as 
the medical apocalypse of our time. Paul Farmer followed the scriptural admonition to simply keep working, faithfully moving towards a future that was invisible to the eye, and he's changing lives all over the world. He had and has that quiet confidence and joy which enable one to feel at home in the universe, even when that universe appears to be ending. By this point, you might be getting a little bit nervous. If you're like me, you don't always feel like enduring. You don't always have that quiet confidence and joy. Sometimes you simply fold. And not all of us can be Paul Farmers or Desmond Tutus. So what do we have to offer young people in college or high school or at any time that we relate to them? And I would say simply this. Make room for God in your life. Attend to God through spiritual practices like showing up here on Sunday morning and praying, taking care of your body and your soul, taking care of your heart, literally and spiritually, taking time to talk about Whatever attempts you make and whatever questions are on your mind about who God is and what it means to live a Christian life, talk with young people about that. They're not afraid of the questions. They're not afraid of the false starts. But they want to hear about it. They want to know that you're really working on it. We need to keep our eye on God, not on being impressive or being perfect, just on God. And look for God wherever we are in our, in our lives, and share what we find with the young people around us. Young people don't need us to be perfect, but they need to see us enduring, going back again and again, taking one step and then the next step and then the next step in the face of enormous odds, In our age and our culture, making time for God is a courageous thing. Speaking from the heart rather than the mind is a courageous thing. Living in a way that honors others and their interests rather than ourselves and our interests is a courageous thing. Whether we do this on campus or in our family rooms or in our church school classrooms, or as volunteers and ministry programs. Wherever we are, when we do this work, we will bless the rising generation who are growing up in a very challenging world. And we will be blessed ourselves. They will call us to a stronger and deeper faith. And they will bless us by asking us to do this work. In the week ahead, as you give thanks for all of your blessings, and maybe have a little bit of time to reflect on what's been given you. I invite you to take a moment to give thanks for those who have modeled the Christian life for you and to ask God to help you to give that gift to those around you, those in need of seeing you and being encouraged by you. Let us pray. God, our creator, 
You see your children growing up in an unsteady and confusing world. Show them that your ways give more life than the ways of the world and that following you is better than chasing after selfish goals. Help them to take failure not as a measure of their worth, but as a chance for a new start. Give them strength to hold their faith in you and to keep alive their joy in your creation. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.